Hey, this is Russell Wilson. This is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti. Welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. We're just one week away from the NFL draft. My first mock draft, 1.0, released last week. A special mock draft edition of this podcast already dropped, so you can hear my conversation with AP college football writer Ralph Russo as we break it down pick by pick for the first round. Our guest this week is Christian Ponder, who was selected number 12 overall in the 2011 NFL Draft. He was the fourth quarterback taken that year. There's a great chance four quarterbacks will go in the top 15, maybe top 10 again this year. I sat down with Christian to discuss his career, which began with the Minnesota Vikings, the pressure of being a first-round pick in the NFL, and much more, including his new venture, The Post, which is a leadership community for athletes. Christian, welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. Great to have you on. As we approach the NFL draft, There are there's a lot of talk about the quarterbacks this year. There's no consensus, yeah. number one. When we look back at the draft in which you went number 12 to the Minnesota Vikings, you were the fourth quarterback taken. There's so much expectations. I know at that time, the Vikings had also traded for Donovan McNabb, a guy who's Entire career in Philly I covered when I was there. So quite familiar <laughs> with Donovan. Getting ta- getting selected at that point, what are those expectations? You know, there's there's so much hope and excitement around a first-round pick who's a QB. Yeah, yeah look, it's it's really – I think it, it depends on each player. Uh, I felt a lot of anxiety around, around that pressure. Um, I think probably mainly I, I had actually gotten – I'd suffered a, a third-degree separation in my AC joint on my throwing arm. Uh, at the end of my junior season in college, had surgery. It actually never felt like I. It, 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 it took me a while to feel like I threw the ball, um, similar to w- what I had before the injury. And so I, I think my confidence had waned, and especially at quarterback, like confidence is everything. Um, it, it's the key to playing well at that position. And uh, and so I, I felt. I think the pressure of being the number one twelve or the twelve overall pick added more pressure to that. And, uh, and so you, you deal with a lot of, a lot of high expectations and it, it's really about each player to, to manage them. Um, you know, I did always have high expectations for myself. I think it was just the uncertainty of like the quality of play I was going to be able to, to have after that injury. I mean, what was unique about my year was, uh, it was the lockout year. And so when I got drafted, the lockout was still on, they had lifted it. So all the first rounders could go to the facility do the press conference with the team at the facility lockout immediately happened like at noon that, that Saturday or that, sorry, that Friday um, after the Thursday night draft and they kicked everyone out and you had to go home. And then you couldn't communicate with your coaches. I couldn't get a playbook. I couldn't do any of that uh, until, until the lockout lifted, which was like, I don't know, maybe a week and a half before training camp was supposed to start. And, uh, and even when I got drafted, Donovan was not in the picture yet. It was Joe Webb was the other quarterback on the roster and and so they knew that they wanted to bring in a veteran guy to uh to to start you know that to take the pressure off of me and so they signed Donovan right right when the lockout lifted I think the next day they signed Donovan and um and obviously he came in and, and started for the first I don't know six games and and then I started the the seventh game um which was which was great I mean I look I love my experience in the NFL I, I loved being a first round pick I, I find a lot of pride in that but obviously I wish I would have had a a longer career in the NFL for sure. Some guys are picked number one or in the first round, and they go into a situation knowing that they're going to be the guy immediately. When a team yeah. goes out and brings in a veteran like Minnesota did with Donovan, do you, 
Does it help you in that you can take a step back knowing that in all the training camp reps and everything else that you're most likely not going to have to start the season as the guy? So it's a little bit of a, a sideline view. You could learn from it. Yeah, yeah look, I, I, again, I think it's probably dependent on, on the circumstance. So I, I think I think what doesn't get talked a lot about is uh, I think a lot a lot of the success of a quarterback is really dependent on the situation that they step into. You know, very few guys can overcome a, a bad situation. Uh, and I think a good situation, I think of a great defense, a strong running game, a strong running game and a great offensive line. And, and those are the keys to, to probably anyone at any point of uh, a quarterback's career, whether they're a rookie or a 12 year vet, um, obviously any quarterback wants those things, but, um, but I think, especially now, I mean, in today's game, the, the pressure for a young quarterback to prove themselves within probably the first two years that they can be the guy. Um, it's just, you know, I, I can't remember what the stat was, you know, from 2010 to 2020 or something, two quarterbacks uh, at the time the stat came out, two quarterbacks that were drafted in the round and the first round were still on the same roster uh, of the team that drafted them. And, uh, and, and a lot of the guys were already out of the league, which was including myself when, when that statistic came out. But I, I think it, it really you have to it's make or break in the first two seasons. Otherwise, teams are so quick to to move on. I, I do think having a, the right veteran presence goes a long way. You mean I think of guys like Alex Smith, right? I mean Alex had the impact on Colin Kaepernick with the 49ers and and Patrick Mahomes uh, with with the Chiefs. I think it's really dependent on on the guy and his his humbleness to his humility to to and willingness to invest his time and effort into into a younger quarterback. Yeah, it seems nowadays like you, you look at a situation where Zach Wilson and you're quite familiar being in New York, right? Seeing what's happened with him, high pick in the draft, top three pick, and and already within the first couple of years, the team is ready to move on. It, it there's not a lot of leash, there's not a lot of leeway anymore. And, and if if you have one bad season, now you had a, a really good second year, you, ten and six. You guys go to yeah. the playoffs. Injuries, I guess, afterwards kind of derailed that career. And then you go into and you were a backup for a few years with different teams. Is there a different mindset that you have to go from being, hey, first round pick, had success, start, go to the playoffs. And now, you know, after injuries kind of yeah. get you off track, you're more or less you got a backup. Yeah, it does. Like, I, I think there's always the the hunger to be a starter. And I think it's it's such an uphill climb to to be a starter who loses their job, goes to another team, uh, especially, you know, when I went to Oakland, obviously Derek Carr is, is established quarterback. I think Derek's a great quarterback and I think he's going to have a, a, a great career with ever uh, in, in New Orleans. I think, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Derek. So to go and sit behind a guy who's clearly the starter, like that, that's, that's an, a really uphill battle. It's, it's such a different, a different mindset, but I, I, cause I don't think that competitiveness and hunger to be a starting quarterback ever, ever leaves. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's a very different circumstance. Um, and it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, uh, because in my mind, I was always battling to be the starting quarterback at, you know, in high school at Florida state, you know, my first few years in the NFL. And then when there's a clear path, there's not a clear path to being a starter. You have to deal with that different dynamic. It does, it does become difficult and, and maybe finding like that, that competitive edge or that motivation to, to stay on top of your game. And, and again, that that's my own personal issues of of, uh, of 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 dealing with that. And eventually, you know, my my last year was 2016 with the 49ers. I I thought you know, that Chip Kelly got a, a one and done uh, deal. He, he had one year, then they fired him. 
uh, after I can't remember if it was three and thirteen or two and fourteen that year. Um, I, I think I would have stayed if Chip would have stayed. I, I'd built a great relationship with that coaching staff. Really enjoyed my time there. Um, obviously, they they let him go, and and I had offers to go to a couple teams for the 2017 season. But at that point, I, I was done. I mean, I, you know, we had our first kid already. Our second was on the way, and I, I did not want to be the consummate journeyman career, new team, new city every year, especially with a family. And, and so I was. I was excited to start the next chapter of my life now that that football was over, but definitely, you know, hold dear to to my heart that my career and my experiences as a as a collegiate NFL quarterback. Tell me about that next chapter and what you're doing now, Christian, with the post. Yeah, yeah. Look, the post is all about uh, a community for for athletes. Um, you know, the majority of our of our communities is uh, former athletes, but what we know about athletes is, is they're uniquely gifted and qualified to be, to be great leaders in, in life after sport. And so um, our ability to create a, a leadership community through its exclusivity to, to athletes, um, you know, it all started in, in my own journey. Again, like when I left the NFL after the 2016 season, moved to New York City to start in the, the world of finance. You know, I got my undergrad in finance, got my MBA while I was still at Florida State. And my dad was in finance. So to me, that was, a, you know, that was the natural bridge to go to go into now that football was over and um, you know, really you know, bounced around the financial world for, for three years, but really dealt with this deep discontent around the idea that I've, I've been an athlete my whole life. I've been a football player my, my whole life. Uh, you know, at a young age, played every sport, baseball, soccer, lacrosse, did everything. And, and suddenly now that my playing days were over, just, just dealt with a lot of deep discontent around that idea um, because it's a huge part of my story, my identity, but, but more importantly, what I realized is the community that I belong to. I've, I've been on locker rooms and on teams since I was, since I was a kid. And, uh, and so to be removed from that community, the people that I felt like I belonged to just didn't feel right. And, and so that's really the origin story of the post is how do we, how do we recreate the the new type of locker room and, and life after sport? Not, not just because it's for athletes, but um, but because of of, uh, of its exclusivity, athletes, the, the really the ability to build this tremendous what we think is the most could be the most powerful and effective and diverse global leadership network that that's out there. What is your overall vision with it? Yeah, look the the overall vision is uh, again really think that we have a, a global opportunity to build a, a really effective uh, network. Um, you know, we we are launching here in in, uh, in New York City. Well. We're launching a national membership uh, right now. We're about fifty percent New York City members, fifty percent national members. But um, we'll open our first clubhouse here in, in Flatiron um, this this summer. Um, you know, we'll we'll launch with we have our first launch event uh, in April this month. April twenty seventh is is our go live date. Uh, but we again, like to me, it's the continuation of the athlete journey. I mean, there's nothing when our sports are over unless you go into coaching, you go into front office, uh, you go into the media. There's, there's no real continuation of, of what it means to be an athlete. And I think so many of us try to run away from that when, when we're done playing because society views it as some sort of liability. Again, we know the data shows that that's a huge asset. It's actually a competitive advantage um, in, in business and, and specifically in positions of leadership. And, uh, and so we want to embrace what it means to be an athlete. Like we tell our members and, and people we talk to all the time, all the time like, like I, 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 I hate the stuff of like the slogans of I'm more than an athlete or athlete and right. Cause the framing around being an athlete is so negative. Um, and so, because I, I, we don't hear, like, we don't see, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm more than a media member. I'm more than a doctor. I'm more than a lawyer. We only talk about uh, in, in the scope of athletes. And, and so good point. 
Yeah, I and it's it's crazy, but look, I think most people picture, especially in athletes in life after sport, like they picture that thirty for thirty doc, like broke, right? Like that everyone is broke and miserable, and your value peak when you're playing, it's all downhill from there. And you know, again, the the data proves. I mean, um, fifteen of the last twenty one U.S. presidents were former collegiate athletes. Fifty two percent of women at the C suite level today in business are former collegiate athletes. Um, you know, an outsized majority of Fortune 500 CEOs are, are former collegiate athletes. And so the data proves that if you were an athlete, you have the soft skills to do tremendous things post-sport. And, and so be an athlete in business, be an athlete in marriage, be an athlete as a parent, because that means you work your butt off. It means you you have a ton of introspection, right? Athletes are great at, how can I always get better? What am I not doing well? Hey, my, my seven-step drop's terrible. My eyes are in the wrong place. I don't understand this 3-4 defense that well. Well, putting in the time to improve those things. It's the same exact things it takes to be successful anything else in life. And, and so we're building uh, a community around that exact ethos. Who is eligible? Is it open to all athletes, Christian? So eligibility, uh, minimum qualifications, you have to be at least a collegiate athlete. Uh, and, you know, D1, D2, D3, whatever, at least as long as you play at the NCAA level. Um, but, but former collegiate professional Olympic athletes, you know, we kind of draw the, the defining line, you know, with your athletic career, hopefully you've been a five-year pro. That could mean you were five years in the WNBA or five years in the NFL. Or if you're a collegiate athlete, you've been in, in business for five years. You know, we're not we're not necessarily building this for athletes in transition right now. I do think we'll eventually help athletes transition out of sports. But I, I believe what we're building is is the veteran locker room, right? Just like when I was a rookie in the NFL or as a freshman at Florida State, you immersed yourself into a a locker room, a community of people who've been around for a while doing it successfully year after year. And and that helped me get better and, and acclimate to that environment much quicker. Same thing here. We're, we're building a veteran locker room of, of former athletes who are doing tremendous things in, in business now. And and so when, when athletes leave sport behind, they can go get themselves plugged into the post. And your members, Allison Felix joined, um, who obviously is doing tremendous things with, with Sage in, in her shoe business. Chris Pronger, you know, Hockey Hall of Famer now, um, building out his own travel company. Um, Jeremy Bloom, you know, Olympic and NFL player. Uh, I played with the Eagles, right? And, yeah. uh, and you know, just built a tremendous software company that was acquired uh, a year ago. And uh, so people who are defined by their athlete identity who took that same, um, those same things and applied it to, uh, to business. So the first clubhouse opens in New York, uh, end of this month, April 27th, right around the draft, actually, first day. Yeah, first <laughs> oh, day of draft. Which yeah. my, my wife is going to be in the draft in Kansas City, so I, I've got to figure out a babysitting situation for uh, for my kids that day. But yes, April 27th. No doubt. But then you, you obviously have goals, right, for national expansion. How are you going to yeah. go about that, and, and how many? How do you project that out to be? Yeah, So so again, like when we launched April 27th, it is a national membership from day one. So whether in New York city or not, you can join, um, our, our, you know, like you said, our first clubhouse will be in New York city. Uh, but we, you know, we think we can probably build out 25 to 35 clubhouses in the United States. We think if we can get a thousand to 1500 members, we'll, we'll put a clubhouse there. And you know, obviously the major one, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Dallas, Atlanta, Miami. But I think like a lot of mid mid market, uh, towns like Indianapolis, we could put one in St. Louis, um, you know, Nashville is a, a very sporty town, Austin. There's, I think there's a lot of places that we could build these clubhouses in and, you know, add the physical space to bring people together again, bring that locker room feel 
um, for athletes that, that miss that experience. And, and, um, and so, and then we think it's a global opportunity. We, we know that the United States is not the only sporty country, uh, you know, definitely options, uh, opportunities in Europe and Australia, um, you know, a, a bunch of, a bunch of places to really build out this, this global network. And it's basically membership driven, right? As far as revenue and, and resources. Yeah, yeah it's membership driven. Um, so we're, we're dedicated to building an elite network uh, of athletes and then bring in the, the world-class resources they need. Again, I think athletes are defined by that, that growth mindset. There's always opportunities to get better. And, and what we want to build is we want to, we want to recreate the, the team sport ecosystem, right? I had my peers, my teammates were alongside me. I had my coaches, I had the training, all the resources that were built around you to make the best athlete possible. Same thing. You have your teammates and peers, you have coaches, we have the right resources to make you the best professional as, as possible um, and, and unlock that that potential that, that so many athletes have. And, and I know it's open to men and women, right? So it's, Correct. it's that's important to have that diversity. It is. It is. So we, we talk about the locker room a lot, but it's a locker room that, that no one else has experienced before. It's, it's men and women. Um, right now, you know, our goal is to have 50% men, 50% women. I think we're at 45% women, 55% men today. Um, but we're in the early stages. Uh, you know, we're, we're at over a hundred members. We've got almost a thousand people apply to join. Um, so it's been great that it's resonated with, with so many people. I, I built this for myself. I missed the locker room. And so the fact that this is resonating with others is, is great. Um, Rob, if, if you built this, I would have been a member yesterday. And, <laughs> and so I just, I saw the white space and the opportunity to build it and that didn't exist yet. So, so, so I'm building it. And, and again, yeah, so it's, it's for men, men, women, all sports, uh, as long as it was at the NCAA level, level and above. Well, I'm a former college baseball player, so I, I'm nice. interested now, Christian. I'm going to take a look awesome. at this. Let's go. So, Let's hey, go I, I appreciate your time. Uh, excited for you. Looking forward to seeing the launch of the NYC Clubhouse uh, later on this month. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Time for some final thoughts. Jalen Hurts became the latest quarterback to get paid this week, signing a five-year, $255 million extension with the Philadelphia Eagles that includes $179 million in guarantees. That's the second highest guaranteed money behind Deshaun Watson and Hurts' average annual salary of $51 million. It exceeds Aaron Rodgers for the highest in NFL history. Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are due. They're going to get new deals this offseason at some point. So expect one or both to break that mark. We know Lamar Jackson has been waiting for a new deal, but the Baltimore Ravens gave him the franchise tender. So that's been a sticking point for a while now. Hertz went out there. He earned his big contract. He was a second round pick. He had a sensational season, his third in the NFL, his second as a full-time starter, finished runner-up to Patrick Mahomes for the AP NFL MVP award. He led the Eagles to the Super Bowl, where he had an outstanding game in that loss to Mahomes and the Chiefs. Teams are going to go out there and continue to throw ridiculous amounts of money at franchise quarterback. That's the trend. Daniel Jones got $40 million a year from the New York Giants, which was wild in and of itself. But I think going the franchise tag route is the best way for teams to go. Let a quarterback play out his contract. You can franchise him twice and then make a decision whether or not you want to extend with all these ridiculous amounts of guaranteed dollars. That would protect teams from overspending on guys who underachieve. We saw 
Washington do that with Kirk Cousins a few years ago. He eventually, when he became a free agent after the two franchise tags, signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Baltimore's taking a risk right now, trying to do that with Lamar Jackson, even though they want to negotiate a long-term deal. But if not, he's got to play on that one-year franchise tag, and then they could do it again the following year. So I, I, it's not going to become a trend. I don't see it happening. I just think that that would be the best route for teams to go to protect themselves. Again, I don't see it happening. That's it for this week. Thank you to Christian Ponder, and thank you for listening. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, check out my colleague Ralph Russo and his AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing.